All right. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Apparently, I did it right the last time, at least right enough, right? So, hey, um, I'm sorry. I'm going to pause for a minute. That was great, the worship this morning. So thank you guys for that. I just love that last song we did because you know what? We could honestly leave right now before I preach, and you got the gospel. Amen? And if you're new to church, that's the gospel, I hope you heard the good news of what Christ has done on our behalf and that there is a purpose for our lives. And so just sit on that for a second, right? Isn't that exciting? Man, I I can't get over it. The song before it too, death was arrested. Nothing is holding us back. This life is temporary. There's so much more ahead of us but we get to be here for a moment to be an example of who Christ was in our lives to others. That should overwhelm us and empower us to do so much more. That should convince us that every day we get up, we are gonna go outside and we are going to share the gospel either in our actions or our words, but I challenge us all to do it in both because what a great gospel we have that is the gospel of Jesus. So I want you guys to go ahead and turn to Philippians 2. We're gonna be in verse 12. But before we get there, I want to go back in history with you for a minute and see if you remember those moments where your parents taught you obedience. Does anybody remember that? Just a few of you? Bunch of times, right? Yeah, do you ever remember that those days when you were told what to do and how to do it? Those were fun days, right? Uh, my parents had some interesting rules going up. And I know some of you parents have some good rules. And uh, one of those rules where we couldn't watch certain TV shows, including certain cartoons. Now, I know you're starting to think I was depraved as a child. That's not true. My parents were awesome. But there were certain shows that my parents wouldn't let us watch. And there were certain things that we weren't allowed to participate in. Uh, for one, athletics on Sunday mornings. Uh, There was never going to be a chance that I was going to get to play baseball on Sunday mornings. We were always either Saturday or any other day, but not Sundays. And we had curfew. That was the worst thing when you're a high school student and you get curfew on a Sunday for a Saturday night. All your friends staying out till 2 a.m. But nope, Mike's in bed at 11.55. Like that, that was the odd time my parents gave me. But see, in life, we've been given these rules of obedience. And at first, we really want to rebel, right? Oh, I'm going to get home at 12 instead of 11.55, like mom and dad asked. Or I'm going to go out a little bit further and stretch my, my ability and my time and everything else that I possibly can because I, I want my comfort. I want my level of enjoyment. Now, how many of you guys, you chase down that comfort, maybe just a tad too far? You don't have to raise your hand this morning. If you do, though, uh, thank you. Uh, (laughs) But it's not confessional Sunday. But how many of you guys had that moment where you went so far, you hit a wall, and you no longer could figure out which way to go? Maybe you had debt. It was just so overwhelming. You know, everybody told you to go to college, but you went to the most expensive college. (laughs) Maybe you had a a relationship issue and you pursued a relationship with someone that you probably shouldn't have. 
you dated someone just a bit too long or you, you got in a relationship too early. And, and there's been moments where you've, you've had situations of, of chasing after your own pleasure, your own desire, and sometimes our own greed. And it took us down a path that just didn't seem to work. And we found that the joy we were experiencing was not joy. It was temporary happiness. And so we came to this moment in our temporary happiness where we said, it's not working. And we had to find someone who knew how to do it better. And so we began to look at people around us and we thought, man, they're really good with their money. Man, they're always happy. They're always joyful. They, they had a bad thing happen two weeks ago and yet here they are smiling. How do they do that? A lot of times we come to the collusion, they have Christ. They have this attention to God, an intention to follow him. And suddenly we're, we're looking around and we're thinking to ourselves, I want what they got. And then suddenly they tell you what they did to get to where they are. And you're like, whoa, okay. I don't think I can stop eating at Taco Bell and get out of debt. I don't know about that. I really like my relationships and my friendships and my girlfriends. But eventually we get to the point where we're saying to ourselves, okay, maybe obedience in the direction you're going makes more sense than the direction I've been. Maybe the wall that I've crashed into over and over again is not worth crashing into again. Maybe obedience is worth it, right? Because obedience is never easy. It's difficult, right? But as time goes on, you realize it's worth it. And that's when we discover our joy in obedience, because suddenly the results that we're getting in being obedient, even obedient to Christ, even obedient to your parents, even obedient to your, to your boss, right? We begin to realize, wait a second, there's a joy in it. And there's this other added bonus. Sometimes we look so good being obedient. We get to be the light to the world. And that's really what we aspire to do. Obedience isn't easy. And obedience is not what brings you to salvation. But obedience is what reveals that you are saved. Did everybody catch that? Obedience is the revelation of who you follow. Just sit on that for a second. Now, as we dip into Philippians we're gonna look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, one thing I want you to remember is that every time Paul wrote a letter, he wrote it to a group of people, the church in Philippi. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I'm sure Pastor David brought this up, but this church was started kind of in an odd way. It was two strange characters. This woman, Lydia, who, who made all these wonderful things, these purple gowns and, and materials that people would use for their clothing, and then a prisoner, prison guard, right? And those two are what started the church in Philippi. And so what a crazy way to start about a church like that, right? Did they do that in Gloucester? Did they find the lady that makes all the fabric and then the prison guard? No? Okay, well, that's what they did in Philippi. And so 
Paul has began this journey of, of expressing to them through his letter that some of the things they should be warned about and know. And today he's gonna, gonna dip into this idea of obedience. But before we get there, in today's passage, Paul, the author of the letter, uh, reminds them that obedience was never intended to be a limit to limit the believer. Do you guys believe that? It was never intended for uh, the the scriptures or or the rules or the acts of obedience to limit us. In fact, it was quite the opposite. It was always intended to free us up to be who we were created to be. And that again is a light in dark places. But in Philippians 2, starting in verse 12, let's read. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for you for his good pleasure. Uh-oh, here we go. This is getting dangerous now. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and t- twisted generation among whom you shine as light in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. The main theme that's going on here is he's telling them to continue to represent Christ. He's saying, hey, as a corporate community, continue to represent me or to represent Christ, not Paul. Paul even knew he was flawed. And so as he's walking in this direction, he says, not only while I'm there, not only in my presence look good, but even when people are not looking, be in the character and the practice of obedience to Christ. Be in this constant motion of of being like his character. And so, but he uses this fancy little terminology in the midst of it, right? Fear and trembling. We've heard that a lot. You know, work out your own salvation and fear and trembling. And sometimes we misread that. Sometimes we read it and we think, okay, maybe we're supposed to work out our own individual salvation with fear and trembling. But you need to remember in this situation, he's actually writing to the church. And he's reminding the church to work out your own salvation. And what the your, if you look at it in the original language, actually means is it's plural, meaning your, or we, not me. See, Paul understood something that we need to understand too, right? Community is essential to our faith. We need each other. And Christ has created it that way. That's why it's so important that we actually are in small groups, right? That's why it's so important that we're actually involved on Sunday mornings. That's why it's so important that we serve in this, in this, inside the church. I'm going to promote Janelle here for a minute, okay? 
because I work with her on a regular basis with kids ministry at Yorktown in here. And let me tell you something. There's nothing more important than us starting early with our kids. We, we don't need you. We need Jesus. But we want you to experience the opportunity to serve in the life of the church. And one of the best ways to do that is to help parents by partnering with them as they're discipling their children to disciple these kids back here. And we can't do that alone. And that's where they're gonna be able to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Who's on board? Who wants to sign up today? I got a list right here. Nobody? All right, I'm gonna talk to all of you later, I'm telling you. That's just my little promo for the moment. But I think it's really important, guys, because as much as we need it, they need it. We all need it. We all messy. If you didn't know that, sorry, welcome to the club. You're messy. That's a good thing, though, because Jesus is here and he's going to like make us unmessy. And so work out our own salvation as a body with fear and trembling. Be the person that comes to each other and says, hey, I noticed there is kind of a theological hole in your life and I want to encourage you. Be there when things come up that they don't understand, that others don't understand. Maybe there's something you don't understand and it should be such an open community here that we can come to each other and say, I don't get this part of the Bible. And you say, I don't either. Let's go get someone else. Or you have the answer but be willing to help one another work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The other side of this is the, uh, I love the way this is written in the NLT. And I know if, if you curse the NLT or don't like it, just bear with me. But it says this, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. It's a reminder that it's us just, we're working hard as a body to show that God is existent in our souls, that God is present in this church, that the head of your church, in all all honesty, is not a pastor, it's Christ. And that they can see that in you. Obviously, honor your pastor. (laughs) Pastor David's a great man. Pastor Sean's a great man. Joey, but they know at the end of the day, the head of the body is Christ. And so work out and work hard to show that Christ is the head of the body. And then with fear and trembling, we, we don't see this very often or uh, we, we tend to maybe not realize this when we look at the word fear. Fear is kind of an odd word, isn't it? Did you guys ever watch Chronicles of Narnia, the Narnia movies? Okay, well, there's one great line and it's, they're quoting C.S. Lewis, obviously, who's a great author. And he just says that when they're talking about Aslan, one of the characters is talking to another one of the characters, and this is kind of towards the end of the movie, so I'm ruining it for you. Uh, but he looks at, they're looking at Aslan running from a distance, and she, the little girl says, he's good. And the guy says, I agree, he's good but he's not tame. You ever wanted to hang out with a lion? When you hang out with a lion, you got a little fear, right? You got a little bit of that moment where you're like, what do I do? (laughs) If someone were to put you in a lion cage, what would you do? Run for the exit, right? 
at the very least, you'd probably slowly step back because you have a respect for the lion. And that's what Paul's calling to them. Have a respect for God. Trust that he is sovereign. Trust that he's in charge. Because right now we struggle with that, right? I struggle with that right now in these day and age. We have a respect that God is still in charge, even behind our masks, even behind our politics, that God is still sovereign and completely in control of everything. And so when we think about having fear and reverence, we pursue doing the right things. We do vote. We do pursue helping the country do the right thing. And it's gonna come into contention because they don't have all the same moral good. But we always have more of a fear of God than we do of our political or our financial situation. We always hold him in reverence. Why? because he's the creator of the universe and he gives us life and he's given us grace and he is merciful and he is good. So let's have some fear and trembling for our God. Here's the next part. This kind of makes people uncomfortable, right? For God, this is the NLT I'm using. Uh, You can go back to your whatever other version we were using ESV up here. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That phrase of what pleases him kind of throws us off a little bit, doesn't it, sometimes? Because that means we've got to put all of our trust into his control. And that also means that, oh, is he thinking about me? Is that Am I still on his mind? I love the scriptures because they say, yes, he is. In fact, if you go to Matthew 10, 28, I'll read this. If you want to just jot this down in your notes, you can. If you're a quick Bible person, run right over there with me. Are not two sparrows, this is starting in verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father referring to the heavenly father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. (laughs) Now turn to your friend next to you and start counting their hairs on their head. No, I'm just kidding. We can't do that apparently this season, but can you imagine that God knows the numbers of hairs on your head? Granted, some of you, it's a little easier than others, but... Who does that? Who would even think to think, no, this is the way I'll convince them. I'll tell them I count all the hairs on their head. They'll know that I love them because of that. But that's what he does. He knows the sands on the earth, the grains of sand. You don't think that when he does what is pleasing to him, he's not thinking about you? He does think about you. Let me see. Maybe you don't get it yet. Let's go to Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order 
that he might be the firstborn among many. I think God's in it for our good. Isn't that great? Rest in that today. Go home, take a nap because God's in it for your good. Go home, share the gospel with your neighbor because God's in it for your good. Nothing can hurt you because you have the creator of the universe on your side. Even when pain comes, the God of all things is on your side. Woohoo! Y'all capturing how amazing this is? Man, you thought you'd be bored this morning. But this next part, this is gonna get us, right? Do not grumble or complain. Do not complain or dispute. This is probably our favorite part of this passage, right? Because it steps on everybody's toes, including my own. Because man, I can grumble. I got kids. I can grumble, right? My kids last night, I thought it was being really clever. I went to go find a snack before I went to bed and went to get the Oreos, pulled it out. They were all stale and like they weren't even crunchy anymore. They're like soggy. It was weird. I was like, oh, I was going to show those kids and they showed me. They realized they were soggy. I want to grumble about my kids. At the end of the day, unfortunately, we have a boatload of grumbling that we could do. How many of you guys have a bad boss? Don't raise your hands. We don't want that to get back to them, right? How many, uh, how many ladies have a bad spouse? Uh-oh. Don't raise your hands, please. How many of you guys, uh, you know, you've got someone that lives right next to you called a neighbor that you'd rather wouldn't neighbor you. Maybe that's why you have a gun. I don't know. But we all have something to grumble about. You ever been into the office and you're walking up and the boss comes to you immediately and says, I need you to do this petty temporary task. And you're like, do you understand my title as executive dot, dot, dot? Do you understand my title is dot, dot, dot? I have other things on my agenda. And they say, no, I don't really care. Take out the trash. They don't, they don't. They just gotta get the job done. They look at the big picture as we should, right? And here's the deal. God's gonna call you to something that's super uncomfortable and super beyond below you. I worked for a church, and at that church, I was the family's pastor. This was years ago in Florida. And one of the roles I had to do on Thursday is clean the toilets. It's life. Did I grumble? Absolutely. Did the pastor correct me? Absolutely. It was great. I enjoyed it. But the reality was I was doing something for the greater good of the greater mission. And when you are asked to do petty things, you are doing something so great. In that moment, you are exemplifying how good God is to you and how he loves you and that nothing bothers you because of the goodness of God. Yes, sir, I will take out that trash. Yes, sir, I'll clean that toilet. Yes, I'll make you copies. I'll do what is ever good to help you see that Christ is good. Don't go to your work and grumble because here's someone who didn't grumble. Do you remember a guy named Jesus? The only time he said something that maybe some people question is when he said, is there another way? Take this cup from me. But when it was affirmed, he got up 
He turned around. He allowed his friends to uh, turn him in. He went and was tried before a council and he didn't have anything wrong with him. There was no sin to hold against him. And then he went through another man and they whipped him. And then he went to the cross and they nailed him to it. And yet the entire time he's being raised on the cross, he's saying, forgive them. What? That doesn't make sense. Why are you so gracious to them, God? But he said, forgive them. They knew not what they've done. He did not grumble. He did not complain. He said, let me be the example and let me be the one that takes on their sin." Gives us a little different perspective. In fact, his move was so inspiring. What happens to Paul later? I'm gonna ruin the end of the story for some of you. Paul actually, between Acts 24, 25, he even tells his friends, look guys, I am willing to go suffer for Christ. May it be that I get to die for him. And he did. As a result of his faith, he was beheaded. And he died for Christ without grumbling. In fact, he felt it was an honor. And in fact, he reminded us a few weeks ago, you remember this? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Woo. That's a lot to take in. And they did it without grumbling. So my challenge for us this week is Take out the trash if it's asked of you. Take a moment to do something for someone that seems petty and an opportunity that you might get to give them Jesus. This story comes on, it continues. He says, basically he wants him to demonstrate the evidence of Christ. Demonstrating the evidence that Christ is with you. So Paul gives him a simple reminder, right? Remain blameless. Showing the evidence of Christ is in your life. Christ lives so vividly in your life. His glory illuminates from you. People can't help but look at you and say, ah, that guy follows Jesus. Ah, wonder who he follows. I'd like to know. Why is he always good? Here's a couple of ways you can do this. You can allow his character to be exposed through you in your actions and your words. You can allow his love to overflow around you. I know it's hard that we can't give people hugs right now in this season. Maybe you can do air high fives, I don't know. But somehow letting people know, hey, you're you're worth it. You have value. There's a God out there who wants to love you but exposing that hope, treating your family with such honor and respect, loving your kids, giving them time, giving your grandkids time, but finding avenues in which the, the, the overwhelming knowledge that Christ died for you is overflowing out of you and expressing it to others throughout the world. What a great opportunity that is. But then his discipline and pursuit of godliness is keeping you. 
Do you want to see the evidence of joy in your life? Let them see the evidence of Christ in your life, even in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And let's face it, there's few of us in the room that believe this is kind of a crooked and twisted generation, right? So how do we keep the light illuminated? There's two things. We simply remain faithful to his word and the continued mission of God. That seems really simple. In fact, some of you are sitting here and like, ah, we've heard this said by Pastor Mike before. He's redundant. Yes, I am. Like, this is the one thing we've got to get. We have got to share the gospel and we've got to be in his word. And I will come back a thousand times and tell you that because that is some of the most essential things you can do in this world is to know his word and extend the gospel. The art of memorizing scripture, some of you guys may remember this, was was incredibly important in our churches in the past and has kind of been lost recently. And I just encourage you guys, remember and memorize scripture. We actually are, are posting on our Facebook page for parents to memorize scripture with their kids. That's on our Coastal Kids page. We, we wanna do that on a regular basis. When someone up here says something like one of the pastors or you hear it from the Yorktown or the, the Deer Park campus, like write down some of those words. Maybe that's a scripture you need to memorize, but memorize scripture so in the time that you need it, you can profess it. That you're not digging around, that you know where that's found and you know what that says. So I just encourage you guys to do that, to remain faithful to his word. The other side of that is we hold fast to being the witness of the gospel. Again, I've said this quite a bit this morning, but I just wanna remind you, hold fast, know the gospel. Find an avenue that where you can communicate it without thinking too hard. Like something, that maybe it's an acronym, right? It's the letters, is that what it's called, an acronym? Probably not, but maybe it's an acrostic, that's it, right? An acrostic, just memorize those kinds of things that you can explain it. Or maybe just say it so often to your kids that you can't help to say it to your coworkers. But know what the gospel is and prepare to be a witness for it. This last part uh, that we see with Paul is he, uh, he has this moment, it's kind of weird. Uh, it's kind of like a pride moment, it feels like, right? I mean, look at the, the passage. He says, I'm that I may be proud that I am not running in vain or labor in vain. And he's saying that to them, that, I, that he'd be proud. And here's the thing, I actually think this is holy pride. Does anybody believe in that? No? Okay, let me try to get you on board then. Holy pride is saying, hey, I hope that you don't see me when I bring you the gospel. I hope you see Christ. I hope that all the time that I spoke to you, the only thing you remember is what I said about Jesus and how good he was and how I stuck to what, what we knew of the, um, the first, the early church and the disciples and so on. Like, I hope when you see me, you see Christ. And he's saying this is church at Philippi because he's saying, I hope that, that what I did for you was such a resemblance of Christ that you are just continuing to do that. That I didn't labor in vain. That I didn't labor for my own good, but I labored for the good of the gospel. 
And see, here's how we can kind of resemble this. If you have kids in the room, raise your hand. That, this is the time you can raise your hand. Congratulations. You guys are awesome. Like, you survived year one, right? I mean, that's a tough enough task. Uh, but you may have survived multiple years of that. And the, the thing that you want your kid to come away with, hopefully if you're a believer, is not their college scholarship to go play football. It's not their academic scholarship to be the best. That's not your number one priority, let's hope. I know that sounds, what? What's he saying? I hope the thing you have your kid go away with by the time he graduates high school or she graduates high school is Jesus. I'd be glad if my kids make the grades to go on to college. Otherwise, I've got some great trade schools they can be a part of. And that's a good thing to do. My brother is doing very well in his trade. (laughs) But I want to encourage you as a parent to kind of see what Paul does here because don't labor in vain. Don't teach your kids principles they're not going to need. Don't teach your kids that they can be the best athlete in the world. Sorry. Let me step on some toes here. Teach your kid they can be and live like Christ. You know how many people make it into the pros? Like less than 1%. I have a big boy. My kid came out 11 pounds, 13 ounces. I talk about it a lot. Yeah, God bless my wife, right? And he is still a big boy. He weighs more than his brother and he's two, young, two years younger. He's tall. He's not, he's not small. He's got little muscles. It's weird. Yeah, I hope maybe that he does that. But I, you know what I hope for more? Is that he gets Christ. I hope he has Christ that if he decides he wants to work for the shipyards, that he's gonna be the best uh, intentional person to share the gospel with those guys. That his actions will be a great representation of who Christ is. That's what I want for my boy. My oldest one, he's getting into the music. He always wants to play with mom. I don't care if he plays music. If he does, that's awesome. But I want him and he will, and I pray he will come to Jesus early and decide to share his faith for a lifetime. Because I don't want to labor in my own vanity. I want to labor for Christ. Today, I just ask, are you laboring in your vanity or are you laboring for Christ? Yes, I think our kids should get A's and B's in school. Yeah, definitely pursue that. Some of us are C average students, just that's life. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing I'm praying that you'll do for your kids, the biggest thing I pray that you'll do for your coworkers, the biggest thing I pray that you'll do as you serve here at the church and you serve on mission outside the church together as a corporate body, is that you will give them Jesus. The last point I was gonna make is be careful how we walk because someone is going to watch. Your obedience matters. People are watching you, whether it's a coworker, a friend, a neighbor, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, Someone is watching and they're looking for someone to look up to. 
and they're looking for someone to look to. I just want to encourage you guys to be careful how you walk. Make sure you know someone is going to watch. And that's a great thing because God has entrusted you to be worthy of being watched. Because Christ is with you. Christ is not with you. I hope you see that today in all of us. I plead with you to see that. If you're not a believer this morning, I hope you've heard the gospel of where Christ has died for your sins. He's resurrected. If you have brokenness in your life and need him, he wants to be your God. But I just encourage all of us, let's be careful how we walk. Obedience is not the ability to obtain your salvation. I know that sounds weird, but the reality is your surrender is how you obtain salvation. Your surrender is how you let go. Your obedience merely reveals who you follow. If you want to find joy in obedience, follow Christ. The band's going to come up here in a minute. And I just want to remind you guys to follow Christ. That's what's going to bring you true joy. Yes, obedience is hard. Yes, obedience is difficult, but obedience to Christ is worth it. Do you guys believe that today? Amen, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for being a good God. Thank you for being a God who knows the numbers of hairs on our head. Thank you for being a God who loves us. Father, may we be obedient to you, not because We think that's going to obtain relationship with you. We have that through our salvation, but because we want that relationship to constantly be moving forward. We want to know you in the good of who you are. And we want that good because it was so good and it was so overwhelmingly good that we want to overflow that into our community and into the people that don't know you, that they they may desire, they may crave to know you. Father, I thank you again for today. And I pray this in Jesus' name.